Saturday night <laughs> and yeah, time is such tricky stuff isn't it a while ago how long ago who knows we arrived and thought, oh, there's all the time in the world it may have felt like this great sentence stretching out in front <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're at this other end, you know, we're at the, the kind of fading away, the falling away of something that has been compounded, constructed, put together. And what's that like? What's it like to sit and feel this process? Mm-hmm. Something that has been compounded by conditions, just starting to tangibly shift. Mm-hmm. Speak a bit louder. Yes, so we're, we're really just to feel this, eh? Nothing is going wrong. This is a process of life. Movement, shifting. And this morning I was talking about the feeling I had coming to talk and a sense of different currents in the room yeah, and a kind of and I still can't think of the word, the technical word, for what happens when in the ocean, when different seas meet. Confluence. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Confluence of different water streams, yeah? And it can feel, if you're in the confluence, you get, it's a bit agitating. Either side, it can be fine, but crossing between them is a full feeling. So, but I... I was sitting here now, and a different image came to mind. <coughs> and it was of one of my favourite places. And it's just close enough from where we live in Kihiki. Yeah. And it's called Waiutapu, sacred water. Yeah. And it's where geothermal, like yourselves here, and what it is, is a place where a cold stream or river, no, hot stream, meet. There's no turbulence. There's just a delicious big pool surrounded by native trees, the most beautiful little birds, piwaka waka, dancing above. You can lie for hours, floating between the hot and the cold as you need to. And just the sense that we can navigate this experience too. It, just what it's like, you know, there's the inwardness of meditation. Whether you think it's hot or cold, I'm not sure. It certainly has a warmth to it. And then there's the things that are manifest 
manifesting outside us to, in which we're in relationship and we can move there the mind can do this dance and it can be have not the slightest agitation in it and when it does we just know that you, know? you can just float in the cold float in the hot float with a mix it's just the perfect temperature. So just how do we conceive what's happening? Willie, you can hold that right onto your mouth. It'll make everybody very happy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so really just feeling it. Feeling what it feels like. You'll have your own images. What is this process, this integrative process like? When we're being quiet, inward, doing deep and profound inquiry, and integrating that with an inquiry about manifestation. So, what I thought might be helpful is to talk about and read just bits of a sutta and some of you will be familiar with it it's a sutta called the Medhya Sutta and it's in the Udana and it's, this, it's just, obviously it's kind of perfect for this experience of integration and knowing what we're supposed to be doing how we sustain this practice until the heart is fully released. So I won't read the whole thing. I'll talk, you know, just tell you the story, yeah? So it's about the Buddha and his attendant, Megia. And they are, they've gone, you know, the Buddha is obviously wandering and wandering with Megia and they've gone for arms for food they've eaten and Megia is the Buddha's attendant so making sure the Buddha has everything in terms of our electricity. So, if you can bear with the sound, eh? I can bear with the sound. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah? So, so the, what happens is, on this, when they've gone for arms round, Megia has seen this place that he thinks is perfect for meditation. <laughs> and he's going to deepen his meditation and crack through, yeah? essentially. And he goes to the border and says, in a brief, I found this perfect place to practice meditation. Please can I go? And the Buddha says, Megia, wait until another attendant arrives. And Megia asks again, explaining that the place is perfect, would be very good if he could go off and get down to his meditation. And the Buddha says, Megia, wait until another attendant comes. 
And so the Megira asks again and says, well, it's all right for you. You've done what has to be done. What about me? And so the Buddha says, do as you see fit. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know if you ask the Buddha three times, they always say yes. Yeah? Do as you see fit. And so poor old Maggie goes off into this beautiful bit of forest to sit in meditation and do what has to be done. And of course it's chaotic. He is completely obsessed by thoughts of ill will, thoughts of sensual desire, thoughts of cruelty. He spends the whole afternoon in this little hell realm in this beautiful forest. <laughs> comes back to the Buddha and says, it is marvellous, Lord. <laughs> there was this perfect place for practice, but my mind was completely obsessed. And then the Buddha gives the most extraordinary teaching, and I'll read it if I can. When the mind's deliverance is not yet mature, Megia, five things lead to its maturity. Back again. Well, try not to move. It's not rubbing the material. I stay still. Is that on? Yep. Alright. Try the other one. If we try this one with the volume down a bit, we won't get the feedback so badly. Turn this off. We've got batteries, eh? Let's do it. So, excuse us for a minute. Maybe I just. You know? <laughs> it's what it's like, isn't it? Yeah, there you go, right on top of the collar. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, here we are. Yeah? Yes. And the Buddha is saying to Megia, what things support the maturing of the mind, the heart? Yeah. And I find these things wonderful. Here, Megia, a practitioner has good friends 
good associates, good companions. When mind deliverance is not mature, not yet mature by year, this is the first thing that leads to maturity. And I'll come back to them, I'll just read it through. This is which? This is This is the first thing that leads to the maturing of the mind, of the heart. Yeah? It's a good phrase. The heart's deliverance, isn't yeah. it? So, furthermore, Megia, a practitioner is virtuous, endowed with good conduct and appropriate resort. They train in virtue. When the heart's deliverance is not yet mature, Megia, this is the second thing that leads to its maturity. Furthermore, Megia, a practitioner obtains at will with no trouble or difficulty, talk that is effacing a health in opening up the mind, and which conduces to complete turning away from entanglement, dispassion, cessation, peace, direct knowledge, enlightenment, nirvana. That is, talk about fewness of wishes, talk about contentment, talk about seclusion, talk about non-entanglement, talk about putting forth energy, talk about virtue, Talk about collectiveness of mind. Talk about wisdom. Talk about deliverance. Talk about the knowledge and deliverance, knowledge and vision of deliverance. When the mind's deliverance is not yet right in the year, this is the third thing that leads to its maturity. Furthermore, Megia, a practitioner lives with energy aroused for the abandoning of unwholesome states and the acquiring of wholesome states. They are vigorous, energetic, and persevering with regard to wholesome states. When the mind's deliverance is not yet mature, this is a fourth thing that leads to its maturity. Furthermore, Megia, a practitioner is wise, endowed with a noble one's penetrative understanding of arising and passing away, leading to the complete ending of suffering. When the mind's deliverance is not yet mature, Megia, this is the fifth thing that leads to its maturity. <coughs> it is to be expected of a practitioner who has good friends, good associates, good companions, that they will be virtuous, and that they will live restrained by ethical conduct. Endowed with good conduct, conduct and appropriate resort, they will train in virtue. It is expected of a practitioner who has good friends that they will obtain at will with no trouble or difficulty. Talk that is effacing, a help in opening up the mind. Talk about knowledge and vision of deliverance. It is to be expected of a practitioner who has good friends that they will live with energy aroused, vigorous, energetic and persevering in regard to wholesome states. It is to be expected of a practitioner who has good friends that they will be wise, endowed with a noble one's penetrative understanding of arising and passing away, leading to the complete ending of suffering. A practitioner who is established in these five things should also cultivate four additional things. Reflection on the lovely should be cultivated for overcoming lust. Loving-kindness should be cultivated 
for overcoming ill will. Mindfulness of breathing should be cultivated for cutting off discursive thinking. The perception of impermanence should be cultivated for the removal of the conceit I am. For one, for when one perceives impermanence, the perception of not-self is established. When one perceives not-self, one reaches the removal of the conceit I am. This is called Nirvana here and now. Then, on realising its significance, the Buddha uttered on that occasion this inspired utterance. Little thoughts, subtle thoughts, when followed, stir up the heart. By comprehending the thoughts of the heart, one, sorry, not comprehending the thoughts of the heart, one runs here and there, the mind out of control. But comprehending the thoughts of the heart, one who is ardent and mindful restrains them. When followed, they stir of the heart. One who is awakened lets them go without trace. So that's Venerable Tanisaro's translation of the last verse. Yeah. So what do we make of this? Yeah. Yeah. All these texts are to be picked up and investigated, each of us for ourselves. You know, what's being pointed at? But what I take from it is the sense that it really helps to have friends in the practice, you know, Dhamma brothers and sisters, people who are interested in the same thing, their interest in waking up. We are live in a fortunate age. They may not be close at hand, but we can be in connection on all kinds of levels because of the, the age we live in. So it may be we can meet in groups, it may be that we can't. It may be that we meet online in some way, or, or that we have access in our mind. Like I was saying at the beginning, that Sitting in fields of practice, when you're on your own, you can recollect them. That we were at home, but we know you know, the feeling of everybody else here cultivating. Yeah. And the different fields of practice we've each participated in. And keeping connected to something that mirrors our own aspiration is really important. That mirrors our own understanding that it is possible to go against the stream. So, it's really, I thought after, really funny, isn't it? There's Mehir with the Buddha. He missed something. (laughs) (laughs) But we can also miss something, can't we? Just what it's like, you know. In that sutta I read ages back about milk and water and the people living together, you know, there's this beautiful thing where, you know, Anaruta says, it is of such 
It's so precious to have these companions in practice. So we just keep the sense of connectedness. We're not. It can get hard if we're all by ourselves, with no sense that anybody else is doing this really difficult work of coming out of ignorance. It's not easy, is it? Maybe some of you had a complete holiday. (laughs) But most of us have been working. It has felt in some ways like work. It has taken effort. It has taken sense faith. The sense that it is possible. Conviction, whatever word we put to these things. Yes, so keeping connected. And he, Buddha says, well, if you've got good friends, now I'm not talking about Dharma practitioners necessarily. You know, people that are kind and generous and um, care about community. I mean, these are good friends and companions too. Yeah? Family we care about. It can make many shapes. But they, if we are with people who have a sense of ethics, who care, care about how they're relating to the world, it will be easy to be virtuous, you know, to maintain our own ethical conduct. Or at least easier. So we, we recognize this is, you know, most of the Buddha's teachings have the sense of graduational process. You think, oh, yeah, if my friends are up to all kind of crazy tricks, it's much harder to stay established in what's for my own well-being. So be careful. It doesn't have to be, we only associate, we never associate with certain people, but we, we're, we're keeping enough contact <coughs> with what we would call good companions, people that support our heart to open. And if the heart is virtuous and we have a sense of being a field of practice and cultivation, then it's easy to think about this process to to think, talk about what helps the heart to awaken. I don't know about you, but certainly in the circles I hang out in, this kind of talk is normal. And it may not be shaped in Dhamma language. But it may be about how to meet what's happening in experience in a way that's skillful. And what's also true in this age of ours is that we have access 
to so much teaching. Right, so one of the miracles of our age. Yeah, those that are younger in the room, you have no idea how fortunate you are. Some of us were born into kind of Dharma deserts. <laughs> and had to go through a long time of, wow, loneliness. Nothing mirroring our own heart's aspiration. Yeah. But now all of us can can hear talk, think about it. So for me, talk can it means also the internal inquiry. But, you know, I listen to my friends lately are into Sadhguru. Sadhguru. He's a he's a teacher. Yeah. <coughs> you don't need the details, but but <laughs> it it's a it's a teacher that's teaching about waking up the heart, ethical practice, yoga. Yeah. So you see, there's all this stuff is available. It's taking all kinds of shapes, but we're we're keeping discernment with it. What really is helping? What accords to ethical conduct. You know, and I don't know, right at this moment in the, in what's been you know, lately revealed again about some of the the teachers within the in the Sangha, you think, oh discernment is needed. You know, that we we are really careful that what we're listening to, what we're part of, understands ethics, understands power. And we're careful. And whatever we hear, we take in and we check out for ourselves. Here am I, I love the image of the broken gong. For other people, Sounds dreadful. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I, I took it away because I thought it sounded dreadful. And I thought, well, the Buddha's pointing to something. And I don't get it. Let me sit with this. Let me see if I can understand it. What is being said? What am I not understanding here? No, so it's not even that we have to like it. We use it as a basis for inquiry. And we're checking out, does it lead to wholesomeness, to freedom? Is it aligned with waking up? So, it's good as we go back, we go back with this, a collected mind that can really inquire into the effect of things. So the sense of being in a place where the things we value and we love are actually talked about. Not all the time, but enough. Enough that we feel 
pattern and we have confidence. And then the fourth thing, and we we haven't we've talked about it but not as much as maybe we could have, is the sense of the kind of right effort, which is really one of the critical path factors. The sense of you know, really being clear what not to pick up, what once we've picked it up is not helpful so we don't keep holding on to it, what is worth picking up because it leads to wholesome states and how to deepen and cultivate those. And this is both you know, in terms of the, the mind, the meditation, and in terms of just the day-to-day of our lives. What works? What works for this heart that is attuning to harmlessness, to compassion, to freeing up? So we're just we're starting to notice. Watching a whole lot of action-packed videos. Yeah. For this mind, it's a disaster. Yeah. Other people have different tolerances. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not that we're saying in a kind of absolute way. I mean, some things are clearly unhelpful. Other things are mixed, and it depends both how you pick them up and your own come up. Yeah. I have a mind that's really on the level of Mickey Mouse cartoons. <laughs> Some people in the room can vouch for that. So anything too, you know, loud, noisy, too much going on. You know, can I sleep? No. You know, and you just start to notice what, what is actually medicine. What. You know, and it's not wrong to relax and enjoy. It's just to start noticing what brings wholesome states and what brings unwholesome states. Like Jatindra was saying, there's a big difference between um, grasping something and holding it in a way that's useful. Just We have to live in the world. We have to decide what to wear and put on. I mean, all this has decisions, has responsibility in it. So it's not an abdication here, but a sense of really knowing the effects. What happens? Yeah. And uh, the fifth thing he talks about is this penetrative understanding of the nature arising in season. So can we take that into our lives? That we're really starting to notice this quality in the world, the kind of movement of things, conditionality of things. We start to notice our perceptions about people, how they come and go and change, how they're conditioned. We don't get so fixed that we're 
really, we just, you know, here you're going into autumn, we'll get home and the spring has arrived. And you're just, even on this very gross level, we're watching the movement. What happens when the spring is here? We're just noticing, we're becoming attuned, feeling it. And this starts to really ripen the heart. But to sustain that level of inquiry, these other things need to be in place, don't they? Yeah. There's enough well-being, enough collectiveness of mind, that I can start really attuning to what is going on. If we're leading really chaotic lives, it's much harder. So we just start noticing. And the Buddha goes on, as Chindri's been saying, I've been saying, you've heard, I imagine, hundreds of times, that really starting to penetrate into this experience really starts to free us up. We're no longer taking shape around hindrances. The heart, its shape comes around compassion, kindness, generosity, these qualities. So the ability to respond in our lives is totally different. And I don't know about you, but I notice myself, well, sometimes I'm a bit contracted back. Lots been going on, and I've had to go back into my little back cave. Yeah? And then other times, I'm much more capable of being vulnerable. We just notice what conditions that. Not right or wrong, it should be like this, it should be like that, but just feeling how conditions affect us. Mm. And knowing that we're cultivating wholesome states, freeing up the heart. Mm. And these, once again at the end, these little medicines the Buddha talks about. That metta, loving kindness, for ill will. In this the translation of seeing the unlovely, if the mind has become completely obsessed by something. So that we're starting to see it in a more holistic way. Is there anything that's all just one thing? You're starting and what's more, to get a bit more malleability, flexibility in how we're interacting with something. Mm. Mindfulness of breathing. Mm. Here for discursive thinking. And that's often how the Buddha might teach it. We realize, well, there's something about just letting this mind relax into the breath that's really helpful. Mm. Another medicine. 
And once again, he reiterates just really seeing impermanence. This is really liberating practice. Yeah, I can do that wherever I am, whatever I'm doing. So the the sense in this sutta for me is, oh, these things I can establish. They're present in a retreat and they can be present wherever I am. But uh, I don't have to have this great confluence going on. I can be more like floating in the pool between a hot and cold stream as is suitable. It can have a sense of harmony in it, delight. Lying for hours, beautiful sky above, little birds flying around. So we get a practice, a life that is in harmony with each other. (coughs) It's it's, uh, always a tricky thing, this process of integrating, moving from these really collected inward spaces to something more engaged. My my own sense for myself was always just know how sensitive the heart will have got. That we really, we take care. We are breaking a fast. And when you break a fast, you're really careful what you eat because the body just sucks it in. So we go, oh, this delicate, receptive, gentle heart. What does it need in this transition? How do I look after it? Most of us have to hop in cars and drive out of here. I mean, it would be much easier if we could just walk quietly off to a forest hut for a day or something. <laughs> <laughs> have to get into the traffic between Seattle and Portland, the <coughs> direction people are moving. Okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, how <coughs> do I look after myself? Some of you will be driving, some of you will be riding. I'm fortunate, I'm riding. It's easier, isn't it? And you recognize, well, this is one of the first things that we're going to have to engage with. How do we take care? What is needed? You know, we can't change the conditions on the road. But it can be really helpful, I find, to recognize what is happening. We're not naive. We use our intelligence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's very helpful to go back to somebody. Mm -hmm. So you have a sense of a little field going with you for a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's helpful to recognize 
what it is like to drown. We're just really realistic. We allow enough time. I mean, you all have your own answers to this, but it's about, we're talking about integration, taking care, respecting what we've been doing. Yeah? You will be, I would be staggered if any of you weren't more sensitive than when you arrived. If you haven't, if you know if it feels like you've got less so, test it out. Because this process (coughs) is an opening the heart, it really, in these kind of conditions, it just makes us more attuned to things. And the trick of this is we've been picking up a really fine, delicate object. We've been, other things have been happening too, but there's been a lot of picking up fine, delicate objects. Breath, body, just what it's like to be here in this space. And we're going out to pick up very big objects, not so delicate. And to have that flexibility, to recognize the focus is shifting. For now, how to be able to have the flexibility to let the mind move from being able to pick up something as delicate as ant to be able to pick up something I haven't seen anything big and kind of I think of a big floppy dog you know, that's kind of bouncy it's such a different energy isn't it? Slightly out of control. <laughs> it takes a very different holding. So we're flexing. Yeah. And each is as precious. They just need different um, qualities of response. So we're not creating a sense that here it's right, there it's wrong. No, it's just hot water, cold water. Yeah. And, and I'm going to pass the mic over to Titi in a minute because you know, tomorrow the form shifts again and we will come out of these particular forms and manifestations up here and come into the, well, once again, into the, <coughs> what do you say, just back into the community, not kind of as something slightly up here, slightly separated off. So, just, you know, for ourselves too, just viewing these movements, the different forms happen, different shapes happen. We just case flexible as we can with it all. For certainly my part is feeling how
precious it is to have this time of practice together. To to feel the quality of people's inquiry and their capacity for that. So here am I, I'll go back to a little place in the middle of nowhere, at the bottom of the world, and I can take good friends with me in my heart. Thank you. a few words because Will has kind of summed up things and drawn things together very nicely. Um, continuing a little bit in the obvious theme of uh, the retreat ending and moving back into um, our life, the way we, we left it before we came into retreat. And I guess what's coming to mind is just an encouragement to be to let go of, don't, or let's say, don't try to hang on to the peace. Because you know? uh, this is also, you know, it's kind of related to the Anapanasati Sutta, the final letting go is you, 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 know, you let go of everything. So if you know, one's moving out of a, a peaceful abiding or a peaceful meditation, the learning is deeply to, to let that go, not to try and cling to it. But to allow, it's, it's also a condition. Uh, our coming together has been a, a, a certain conditions coming together. We've created them, it's a created thing, a formed thing. And all such formed, created, conditioned things come to an end. Inevitably, even if we try to keep this going forever, yeah. we just die off one by one. You know, it's an extreme example. <laughs> you know, it's somehow it's just trying to get at that delusion that we can get something really beautiful and peaceful and somehow keep it that way. That's a delusion. You can't create conditions to be like that. <clears throat> and Nirvana is understanding that fully. Or part of that experience is understanding that fully, so you're not, no longer trying to keep it like that. So leaving the retreat, whatever feelings it, it brings up, it's just another, it's just the next step, it's just the next uh, thing that we move into and mindfulness is always with us. And mindfulness, is, as uh, Wulu was saying, referring to being, being flexible, mindfulness is not um, conditional on, on having you know, the perfect conditions, if you like. In, in some ways you could say samadhi 
depends on certain conditions, yeah? Mindfulness doesn't. You can be mindful in the, you know, in the middle of a circus or in a quiet forest or in the middle of a, a painful argument. You know, mindfulness can be there as well. You know, mindfulness, yeah, that's what you take with you. <clears throat> and mindfulness itself, you know, is flexible in terms of um, the wider meaning of mindfulness and clear comprehension. That clear comprehension is uh, some pajanya that begins to understand appropriateness, u- appropriate use of mindfulness in the context we find ourselves. So the appropriate use of mindfulness on the cushion. Uh, in an hour's meditation is very different from appropriate use of mindfulness on a highway back home, driving a car. Mindfulness is still needed, is still operating, but the way it it, um, uses and directs the other faculties of mind is quite different because it's contextual. If you try to be very mindful, slow walking, walking across a pedestrian crossing, you know, that's inappropriate. There's no sampajanya there. Then you might be very mindful, but there's no sampajanya. The context is completely wrong, and you know, it's not helpful. <coughs> you can walk at the appropriate pace and be mindful with that. So that's sampajanya. That's wisdom coming in and clear comprehension. You know, the perfection of mindfulness with wisdom. The, you know, the perfection of wisdom, rather with mindfulness, is the wisdom that truly understands anicca, dukkha, anatta. It's the, the final clarity when we penetrate to the truth of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and the not-self nature of things. So these these faculties of mind, mindfulness, wisdom, that's what works. And I remember something popped into my mind when I was thinking about that appropriateness of attention. Um, I remember being in Anagarika in, in London, in, in England, and we did a lot of driving uh, around the, the Sangha. And in my eagerness, I was really getting into this certain contemplation of not-self. And as I was driving, an internal voice said, who's driving? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, let's not go there. Because <laughs> yeah. that was you know, something I would bring up. Who's doing this? Who's doing that? No, not now. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely me here. (laughs) So, you know, as we move out, flexibility, naturalness. Don't try to hang on to anything. Just be. It's funny, you know, semantics, words. So say, be yourself. After being saying, you're not self. Whatever. just, Just be natural. Just... The, the true wisdom stays. It's not something you have to necessarily remember like a, a um, conceptual book learning. True wisdom, when it penetrates in the heart, it goes with you everywhere. Yeah? Mindfulness remembers to stay present, to open. And so you kind of trust that process, your own growth. Don't become the one who goes home and says, now I'm the, I need to meditate seven hours a day. Ask your part to, partner to move out of the master bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Because there's so much to be learned when we move back 
into the world the way it is. Be mindful. And uh, a gutter was occurring to me. Don't anyone know what a gutter is? Not in the, as in the concrete gutter. But as, um, what would you translate it? Tignat Hans gutters. A verse. A verse. Um, those of you who may know Tignat Han and his teachings may know this verse. Again, just a little Dharma verse, something to remind you, something to help practice. But it occurred to me in the retreat on Anapanasati, because this verse I know for a long time ago, and I realized it was actually incredibly um, aligned with the Anapanasati Sutta. It's only four lines. Um, and it's one way he would encourage people to meditate. The four lines are <coughs> Breathing in, I calm this body. Breathing out, I smile. Breathing in this wonderful moment. Breathing out this only moment. And I realized each of those four lines pertains to each of those four tetrads of the Anapanasati Sutta. Breathing in, I calm this body. Hmm? Breathing out, I smile. That's the rapture and the pleasure in the second tetrad. Having calmed, breathing out, I smile. Breathing in this wonderful moment, the third tetra, the wonder of the mind itself, in equanimity, stillness, this wonderful moment. Breathing out this only moment, reflecting the fourth tetrad around contemplating impermanence, cessation, relinquishment. Breathing out this only moment. This is the only moment we can let go of the previous moment. We don't have to hanker after the next moment. Now it's the only moment. So it's a lovely little gutter you can reverse, you can take with you. It might help remind you of all of that dense meaningful Anapanasati Sutta, <laughs> summed up in four beautiful direct lines. So, quite useful, isn't it? <laughs> so for my part, it's, um, it's been a wonderful journey through the week with you all, you know, teaching um, in the way that we teach, it is a journey because we don't quite know what we're going to say. And um, like you, you know, we have the, the sutta to give a framework, but it's very, um, we're in the space with you, you know, kind of resonant with what's going on for you, for us. And something comes out from that mix. Um, 
So it's a real journey for us too. And uh, every journey is different. And it's a deepening, you know. You didn't sit on the cushion as much as you, or too much walking meditation, but I certainly feel at the end of the retreat, as I did last year, there's a, a deepening, a deep, you know, a, a definite deepening in my own practice, just because of the presence that is called forth for everything within the situation. So I'm grateful to you all. I'm grateful for my teaching buddy and our other buddy, accompanying buddy. Thank you. So I'll leave it there. Shall we chant something? Yes, I just, I just, I just got something. <coughs> <coughs>